Hello and welcome. Wherever you are in the world today, thank you for joining us for the Rise Traveler, unpacking conversations of sustainable travel. We are here to talk to eco-minded and socially conscious travelers, diversity and inclusion specialists, wildlife conservationists, environmental activists, and anyone using travel as a way to uplift and inspire. Together, we will go a step beyond the Instagram-ready world of travel and take a look at how travel can be a source of growth and development for all people in all communities. And now, here's your host, Amy Hager. So joining me remotely today from Africa is James Mwenda. So thank you so much. And just so you all know, listening in today, the internet's been a little rocky today, so he may fade in and out, but we will pick up our conversation as soon as he pops back in. But James, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Ami, to having me today. Yeah. So let's go ahead and start off with you founded um, the company Eco-Friendly African Safari Adventures. Can you tell us a little bit more about your company and why did you start it? Um, I started my company as a transition from my former career. I have been a ranger for nearly 10 years. And um, at some point, I felt the need to uh, transition to do something more. Uh, and it was also a dream I had since I was a little boy. Growing in the village uh, below the foothills of Mount Kenya, I would see tourists passing with trucks going up the mountain. Uh, often they would give us, you know, treats like biscuits and um, uh, you know, small treats from, from, from their trips. Yeah. And, uh, that really wanted me to kind of, you know, understand how to handle clients and guests at some point. And that is when I dreamt that one day I want to be in the travel industry. So fast okay. forward after working 10 years, uh, in the, in, in conservation as a ranger and as a rhino caretaker, I wasn't really, really impressed with the way we were seeing environment. So I kind of wanted to create a company that would help people reconnect with nature because I had seen people come, um, get so excited, tick off animals on the checklist, mm. um, and, and then go away. And, and I, was, I was scared that we are not learning much about what is happening with species, uh, what's going on around their world, what needs to be done better. Uh, and our relationship was just you know, uh, that of onlookers just coming and seeking and, and going on to the next destination and so forth. So I wanted to create a company that would have um, an understanding, people would have an open-minded uh, approach to world travel and would want to get into the rise of these animals, understand them, and even at a time when so many species are in a crisis of extinction, so kind of... Yeah ask people that we could have a conversation about what's going on. So then um, there's a lot that I want to dive in. And so I think where I want to start, though, is you had mentioned um, northern white rhinos previously. And I know you just kind of touched on it lightly. But can you talk more about the northern white rhinos and the motivation and what you're seeing? Yes, um, the Northern White Rhinos, maybe for someone who is hearing this for the first time, uh, one of the most embattled species presently on the planet. We have only two living on the planet. 
Mm-hmm. I started working with them around 2013-ish, end of 2013-ish. Uh, there were seven left. Mm-hmm. Um, during the span of my career as a rhino caretaker, uh, their numbers have declined to now two. Um, I was one of the people that looked after Sudan, who was the last surviving male northern white rhino. And uh, it's, it's really good me to say that this is a species that are really defined uh, what extinction is about. I mean, yeah. so many of us hear of extinction of species, they don't relate to it, but I'm one of the men that end to work with a species that is now, uh, you know, declared functionally extinct because we only have two females left. Yeah. And uh, my job was basically to secure them, make sure they are safe, they are protected, they have everything they needed but also try to give them comfort, you know, because of yeah. how far they had come in terms of uh, being the last of their kind. So this is a job that I did um, for nearly seven and a half years. And uh, it was emotionally draining as a young person being there in the moment when a species is um, on the brink of extinction. And I really, really wanted to do something and just to allude to, to that, um, one of the inspiration again to us why I realized this, something that needs to be done, especially in the tourism world, was people came to see these northern white rhinos. They came for what is the obvious reason, to what is so many of the of, of, of you know travel companies offer. They came for the destination because this is where the last rhinos are, and mm-hmm. they came for the rhinos as a species that they would both taking some office with and you know putting on their social media hey i'm here with the last rhinos and it's really fun to come and see them and i was so concerned that um we were definitely missing the mark like we really didn't let the message sink in of what these rhinos represented in terms of species Mm -hmm. extinction and what we as uh, a people need to do in these contemporary times so i felt the need to step up further and awaken this reality that these are not just the two rhinos, they are just the last remaining rhinos on the planet. And mm-hmm. if you let that sink in, you'll really see them further than just taking a selfie with them and going out for the gram that I saw the last rhinos. I mean, there's nothing to be proud about there. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what has been my messaging. That's kind of what has been my inspiration. And that's kind of what is my motivation to us even launching this company where we can have conversations about what's going on on our planet. Yeah. I love that. And I think too, like we, we just get so wrapped up in the moment of being there in the excitement. There's so much more to talk about though. And I love that that's part of your mission and part of your company. And so you I know a lot of us go into the, go into a trip with like the intention of being responsible wildlife tourists. And we know that, like you said, not every wildlife experience is equal. Can you share more about how interactive tours, how interactive we should be with animals as tourists? Like we don't want to disrupt them but still to be able to take in the beauty and have the conversations, like how do you find that balance? Yeah, I think uh, 
that remains always a fundamental um, question. And actually, uh, for conservationists, we really uh, struggle with defining and drawing a line at how far can we go in this regard. But um, uh, to answer that question, I think we really need to have an open mind when we choose to travel, when we choose to to go out in these destinations where this wildlife is, we need to really have an open mind. And I'm always telling my guests, whether it's me or my the people that I work with in my company, I'm always encouraging them that the beauty of an animal is in how free it is, in how, you know, um, you know, you're walking, you're seeing the animal walking in itself, you're very close to the elephant, it's wild, it, it gives you that chills to even be close to it. It's yeah. those moments that I'm always inspired with. But also we cannot overlook the fact that we need to draw animals close to people because the same um, gives mm. the very foundation of to why we need to love them. You know, think about the pets at home. Um, people want to cuddle them. People love them because they are more close. They can, you know, be close to them. So in the case, with my experience, uh, especially working in Opegeta, um, for instance, when Sudan was alive, was the last male northern white rhino, we did allow people to come close to him and even lay hands to them because he was not just any other rhino, he was the last remaining rhino. And yeah. the essence of taking people close to him, they would let the reality of what extinction is sink further deeper into the people's uh, minds and people's hearts. And this would really uh, make people emotional, will make people question our sanity as humans, that we can allow our species to go this far, and so forth and so forth. Again, um, I think we really have to be very careful then, because at some time it tips over, and then we end up exploiting animals, you know? Yeah. We end up having animals that people can cuddle, which is the wrong relationship that we shouldn't be embracing um, when we are talking about helping wildlife. So we need to isolate cases, um, you know, to um, further answer this question. For instance, in Opegeta, we have a blind rhino, a blind rhino that could not be reintroduced back again in the wild because he lost his sight when he was 14 yeah. years. Um, and what, was, what the management made the decision was, this blind rhino can be used as an ambassador species. Mm. We can let people go close to him as a way of giving him company. We can also let him represent the hundreds of other rhinos we have in the world to kind of help people interact with the rhino and bring what it is to be a rhino in their lives. And people have affinity to love what they can see, what they can touch, what they can feed, you know, it becomes a personal experience. That yeah. when I am on a safari with you and I'm telling you, that's a black rhino there, they're very dangerous animals, you can't get close to them, that there's not no that connection. But mm -hmm. then, um, for instance, if you go close to a rhino, you're able to lay your hands on it, and for a moment you're able to feel the energy, you're able to feel their strength, but then you realize how vulnerable they are to us humans, then, um, you know, that message doesn't really sink in. So I think we need, as, as conservationists uh, and also as uh, travelers, we need to be really cautious to know when uh, an animal is being exploited mm -hmm. and when it is genuinely um, 
uh, justifiable to be able to go close to certain animals. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, an elephant isn't just an elephant because you can just go and cuddle it. I mean, we yeah. have animals that have been, you know, tamed too. So it's both ways, I would say. It's both ways. It's just about who is doing what and where is this being done. Because then we have different destinations that offer different experiences like these. And then at the end of the day, travelers get confused with what is happening. So yeah. I am for the ideal of we need to use species that have got a natural challenges like blindness, like a sickness, they can't fit in outside in the wild. We can make these animals more um, human friendly. People can go close to them. But maybe the ideal of taking a healthy animal out in the wild and bringing it here so that then people can come and play and cuddle it. Um, from a human you know, standpoint, I don't feel it, it's healthy. And I'm always encouraging my guests, you don't necessarily need to lay your hands on an animal to love it as much. I mean, mm. they're beautiful seeing lions walking free. They're beautiful seeing leopards just walking free, roaming, living their lives. Right. I mean, it's the best beauty than just when they're in a cage and you can just go and cuddle them. Yeah. And so then maybe as guests, like, are there questions or things that we just might be doing that we're not realizing that is more harmful and how do we navigate that? Like, how do we ask or how do we, how do we connect those dots so that we can really allow the animals that are in the wild to be in the wild and have the space that they need, but then also know like, this is an animal, like you said, that's kind of been trained to be interacting with humans and is an ambassador animal. Mm-hmm. Are there things we should specifically look out for, or things that we should specifically be asking about? Yeah, I think, I Ami, mean, um, as a traveler, you really need to be, um, especially in these times, you need to be really conscious when you, before you make the decision to open a trip, maybe with um, a certain group or with a certain company. You really need to know what motivates this group. Uh, you really need to know you're familiar with your itinerary. You know, yeah. um, you know where you are going, you know what you are going to do, uh, and you should have room to ask questions. You know, you should be willing to question, why are we doing this, you know? And yeah. also, um, for instance, in my case, when I'm doing planning a trip for someone, I will plan an itinerary, I will send someone the itinerary, they will revise the itinerary. If they have any clarifications or any questions they need about anything that we put in the itinerary that they are going to do, then they can ask the question and we can clarify them. Yeah. So if it goes about doing some research about who you are traveling with and what is that motivates, uh, you know, that particular group, uh, because that is when you can be able to know what you are expecting on a certain trip. Yeah. And if you ask questions, you don't get answers. If you ask uh, you, you can always say that I'm not comfortable doing this as a guest because you have the right to, you have the right to say I want to respect wildlife I want to be careful how I'm treating it um, so I'm not going to do this yeah and taking more of an active role absolutely yeah and you find now um, mostly now guests end up sometimes uh, through my own experience uh, pushing even uh, the guys and the people in the fields to go beyond what is supposed to them, mm. uh, because um, 
you want that extra experience. You want to drive okay. yourself to two meters very close to the animal. Um, if I have given my driver the job to go and take you on a trip, and um, the, the guests will complain that you didn't take them to see the animals, I will not be happy with my driver, you know? Yeah. So as I you ask the driver, can you know, if you insist with the driver, can I go further in? The driver will just listen to you because they want to make you happy. You, right. you matter when you're on a trip, but then you're not realizing how much pressure you're putting on the ecosystem and you're putting into the species and how much ecological or other environmental impacts you are having when maybe the driver of road to take you further to see the animal, you're killing eggs, mm. you're killing snakes, you're killing yeah. um, smaller animals that are sleeping out in the field. So yeah. I also think we need as, as travelers to kind of um, have a certain respect and, and love and yeah. appreciation for wildlife. It's like, be happy if the animal is just close to the road that is designated for game drive be happy to see it there if mm. you're not lucky there maybe next point time you'll be lucky but yeah. don't push the drivers don't push the guys to further go beyond and um, cause a lot of harm to the environment so what sometimes seems like a simple request as a traveler of can we drive closer to that animal is actually unfair to ask and, and can put more in danger. So I think if we respect the itinerary that is set, the path that is set and know that the reason that's set is because of, like you said, there could be eggs, smaller animals, things that the truck would drive over and would kill, but we wouldn't even realize it. I think there has, to, you said that respect yeah. for the itinerary. I really, really like that, James. Um, so then one other thing that I know that you're really, really passionate about is slow travel. And so can you first explain what is slow travel and then talk through some of the benefits of spending time um, longer and seeing fewer places? Like why, why should we consider slow travel as tourists? I... I actually, that remains my guiding light for my company. Um, mm -hmm. is, the, is the sole reason why I also uh, started my company because what I saw was guests that would come and visit the conservancy that I used to work. And they were so much in a hurry because they wanted to come for just one day and see rhinos, lions, and elephants. And what they wanted to do was they were given by their company a checklist of all the animals they are going to see on the African safari. And all what they wanted to do was to pick away the animals. So they don't even have even time to sit and enjoy the beauty of the wildlife. They wanted to tick off and then go to the next, next destination because what we have been selling as travel companies is destinations and animals, you know? People come, for instance, for Masai Mara in Kenya, and they come for Amboseli for the big elephants, and they come for the big five. So if someone itinerarily includes Masaimara, Amboseli, and maybe Old Pejeta, and then there's a tick, so people are so rushed to tick away species and speak away destinations and say, oh, I was in Africa, I saw the big five and so forth. So what slow travel means to me is uh, a travel that comprises of a broader understanding uh, of the environment that 
we are visiting, or rather the destinations that we are visiting, whether it's a park, whether we are traveling for culture, whether we are traveling for educational purposes, hmm. we desire hmm. to take time and soak in the beauty of the present moment that we are living. Uh, and I've always let my guests imagine, you know, sitting down uh, in our car, switching over our engine, and having a herd of 15, 20 elephants just next to us being elephants, you know, mm. trying to soak in the beauty of what they have, what they are doing, how they live, how many do we have, what is their dress. You soak in the beauty of that moment. You take time to go slow. Um, you get to understand better what these uh, species mean. And then as a person, you find yourself, you're getting much more reconnected with nature than when you, it, the relationship is just coming and taking them away. So to me, slow travel means taking time to appreciate and, and, and value the places that we visit to make sure that we make the most out of it and in terms of reconnecting with nature. Because we're living in a time when our relationship with nature is that of uh, onlookers, where mm. we just see animals, we just see uh, conservation, we just can you know, make it pathetic. Our relationship is just onlookers, and especially now with modern science and all of that. But my imagination is having a traveler or travelers who want to soak in the beauty of the wildlife and mm. enjoy uh, try to even name these animals, try to even, you know, identify each particular animal. And, and by so doing, you find that you are having a more greater purpose than you're, when you're just coming to see them as, um, you know, as taking them away and rushing. Yeah. So then if you looked into your crystal ball, how do you see the future of the travel industry if we, have, we as tourists um, really embraced slow travel? Um, I, I see a future where people basically understand their part in helping um, the survival of species. It's not mm -hmm. just about traveling mm -hmm. for us, it's also traveling for the species. It, it's traveling for the places, um, the traditions of the places we made. Um, it's traveling for the people. It's traveling for the survival of ecosystems that these animals live. And I think the future of slow travel is, you know, basically we have a low carbon imprint, you know, um, imagine staying in a park for two or three days, you're having less impact on the environment than when you're driving across the country to meet, to do so many things at the same time. Uh, and at the same time, I think the future of slow travel will be a very, you know, empowered people that are very conscious of themselves, because I can say through my own experience, living in the bush and now doing trips, that nature is a therapy in itself. Where mm. when we take time to go deeper into it, when we take time to understand it, uh, we are able to find ourselves in different fronts. And we are able to realize who we are in the context of making our planet a better place. So I think the future of um, slow travel is what is really required. You rather go visit two places even if it's for 10 days, but you rather go back home a reconnected person, a person who really understands um, how they can fit in making our planet a better place. 
So it's not only spending more time at a place, it's having a deeper connection with it. Yeah. Mm, James, I love that. And I think that's where we'll have to end our conversation today. It's been really great exploring and learning more about the Northern White Rhino and your mission and why you've started this, this organization, but also really, really making that connection, that deeper connection with the experience that we have when we are out traveling. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me as well. It's really grateful and I hope we can be more conscious travelers when we visit and we can um, do a bit of more research. We can know who we are going with and what they stand for because that also really matters a lot that we can have these animals for generations, 50, 100 years to see today and enjoy like we do every time. Yeah, exactly. See them time after time and for, for more years to come, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our journey today. And if you like what you've heard and you want to hear more, um, please subscribe to our email list at Rise Travel Institute org slash subscribe. And we'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, keep roaming, keep learning, and continue to be a rise traveler. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is an extension of the Rise Travel Institute, a 501c3 nonprofit committed to empowering young travelers through educational programs, research, study tours, and scholarships visit risetravelinstitute.org to learn more.